Welcome to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message from Hoffmantown Church. I'm uh, a little conflicted this morning, to be honest with you, and uh, I find myself looking at the things that are going on in our uh, nation and throughout this world, and I, I don't know about you, but I find myself looking up and just asking the Lord to come and to come quickly, don't you? And I thank the Lord that he's got grace in the meantime. Meantime living. Have you ever heard it put it that way? Meantime living. Grace for every day and every circumstance and every moment. And we're thankful for that. And I'm watching uh, so many different things take place. And just, you know, boy, through the word of God, you begin to realize how precious God's word is and how his faithfulness to us uh, is just so dear. And my prayer this morning as we walk through his word and we begin to look at what his word has to say is that God would encourage each one. Uh, My prayer is also that we would not leave here somehow overwhelmed by the circumstances of life, whatever they may be, but rather that we'd be rejoicing in the God of the circumstances. Amen? Because when you look around and you look at all these things that are happening, (laughs) I mean, my goodness, It's a little overwhelming at times, isn't it? We're going to look at Revelation chapter 9, and (laughs) I uh, do a Bible study with the staff every Thursday, and I told them I don't know how to really make this encouraging. Um, The fifth and the sixth trumpets, the first two woes are devastating. In the midst of it, what we know is that God's sovereign, and we also know that because we're believers, we're protected, we are being watched over. And we don't have to walk in fear. So many walk in fear, and the truth of the matter is God is with us. I wanted to share a passage came to my mind just thinking about Jason and Allison and certainly all the circumstances of life. But in Romans chapter 8, verse 31 and following, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? Think about that, folks. If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who's the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, just as it is written, for thy sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What a beautiful truth that Paul expresses in this book. Amen. Somebody sent me a blog by Joel Rosenberg, and I read it, and I thought, boy, does this say it well, and I just want to take a moment and read this to you. What in the world is going on? (laughs) Anybody else ask that question lately? 
Hurricane Harvey drops 33 trillion gallons of rainfall in the U.S. Experts say the floods are a once-in-a-thousand-year event. Now Hurricane Irma is bearing down on Florida. It's hitting Florida as we speak. Historic sustained winds of at least 185 miles per hour. I don't know if you've listened to the news reports, but they say this is the most devastating storm that has had these type of winds for as long a period of time uh, that we've ever seen, certainly since satellites have been able to track them. Is that, what, is that the way to say that? In other words, for three days in a row, there were sustained winds of over 180 miles an hour. They've never seen a storm ever do that. Think about that. Just devastation in the Caribbean has been catastrophic. Experts say Florida and other American states could face the same. At the same time, Mexico experiences the worst earthquake in a century. Record-breaking floods are devastating Asia. Half of Bangladesh is reportedly underwater. 100,000 homes have been destroyed. 40 million people face severe and potentially life-threatening food and water shortages. Russia is preparing to mass upwards of 100,000 troops on the borders of three NATO countries for a massive series of war games that some fear is a prelude to war in Europe. The genocidal slaughter continues in Syria. Terror attacks are occurring around the globe. North Korea threatens to nuke the United States, then tests a hydrogen bomb and long-range ballistic missiles. And tensions over the Temple Mount in Jerusalem spike, then settle, then spike again. And I'm just going to add this in because uh, I don't know if you know about the wildfires. I mean, just throw that in there. I mean, might as well. One of the worst fire seasons ever. More hurricanes forming. Joel concludes with this. He says, people have all kinds of theories as to what is happening, but the answer is quite straightforward. And folks, I agree with this 1,000%. God is trying to get our attention. You hear that? God is trying to get our attention. Does he have it? Does he have it? Or do we just keep on saying, well, that's over there. Those are other people going through that. Boy, we're glad we live here. How how do we deal with this stuff? And, And when we look at these catastrophes, can, can we at least acknowledge that they pale in comparison to the tribulation? They pale in comparison to the tribulation. I, I, I think we've got a hope. We've got uh, something that everybody wants. We've got assurance. We've got security. We know our future. Why? Because of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, because of Jesus Christ himself and the message that he has given that when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we will be Saved, And we can trust the Lord in that. We can walk securely each and every day. I, I remember in uh, 2000, well, it was really 1999, right? You remember that? Everybody was freaking out about Y2K. I was down in Florida, and they wanted to put into the church property, into the ground, a 10,000-gallon gas tank in order to make sure that we could serve the community if Y2K hit. And then there was the question of, well, what would that do? And how, it just was really squirrely, if I could just be honest. I I mean, I watched believers 
looking like they were panicking. And I, and I think when I came away from that time, we had the highest attendance on the Sunday before Y2K hit that we had had at that church in who knows how long. I mean, it was packed. Believers panicking. Folks, do we believe what we say we believe or not? Do we trust the Lord? Do we walk with the Lord? Do we recognize that day by day God is sovereign, God is in control, that regardless of what happens, no matter what goes on around us, we have the God of all gods living within us. We have his strength. We have his wisdom. We have all that he is. We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. We have all that we need to walk godly in Christ Jesus because he lives within us to do through us what we could never accomplish on our own. Are we yielded to him and walking in the truth of that? Or are we in panic? I, I mean, what separates us from the world in terms of how they view things and how we're viewing things? How are we viewing material things? How are we viewing circumstance? How do we view our own lives and the things of our lives? How do we view that in terms of the way we should as believers with regard to the word of God and the revealed word of God and what God has for us? How, how are we walking in that? Because we ought to have hope. And at times like this, when people are panicking and wondering, Twitter is blowing up. <laughs> Does anybody use Twitter? Come on. I do not tweet. I'm sorry. I just don't do it. But Twitter is amazing. It's amazing to watch. People are just all over the place with this stuff. What's going on? See, unbelievers are watching this and they're asking questions. Folks, we have the answers. We have the answers. We can point them to Christ. We can point them to the Lord. And we can let them know absolutely. For sure that, number one, God is sovereign. And number two, that the Lord will punish sin because he's a just God. He's a loving God, yes, but he's also a just God. And the question is, for unbelievers, have you believed in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you received him as Lord and Savior? Do you recognize that he alone offers eternal life, and that by believing in him, he promises you eternal life because you can be forgiven of sin? Are we willing to share that with people all around us? And are we walking confidently in that truth so that people recognize that we don't walk according to the ways of this world. We walk according to the ways of God. Believers must walk in peace, folks. The peace that passeth all understanding rather than fear. Why? Because God is in control. Are you walking in peace or are you walking in fear? Do you believe that God is in control or not? Do you believe that the Lord is using these circumstances in order to wake us up and get our attention or not? And the question is, are we yielded to him in it? Or are we so caught up in the mundane things of life that we have forgotten that we've got something far greater to participate with God in the midst of because we have a spiritual war going on all around us. Well, when we talk about the fifth and sixth trumpets, we're talking about a, de a demonic horde that attacks this world in a way that is indescribable. 
Walverd puts it this way, just to kind of set the stage for this in Revelation chapter 9. He says, the tribulation period unmasks human wickedness and also demonstrates the true character of Satan. In our modern day, while Satan is still restricted, it's easy to forget the great conflict which is raging between the forces of God and the forces of Satan referred to in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 12, and the armor of God and the war that we're in. And by the way, we participate in that spiritual battle by prayer. It says, in the great tribulation, especially in the time of the fifth trumpet with the release of the confined demons, the full character of Satan will be starkly manifested. For the first time in history, all those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior will come under demonic possession and affliction. The first four trumpets were natural disasters, and they were horrific, killing untold millions of people. But now you hit... The fifth and the sixth trumpet. The seventh is still to be sounded. And the seventh is, when it's sounded, the opening of the seven bowls of God's wrath that are going to be poured out. I mean, this is horrific stuff. The eagle has already flown through the mid-heavens, and it has warned the earth, woe, 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 for those about to go through this time. And the first two woes are the fifth and the sixth trumpet. And both of them are demonic in nature. We're seeing the armies of hell unleashed on earth. There's no other way to put it. If you look at chapter 9, verse 1, the fifth trumpet covers verses 1 through 12, and I'm just going to walk through this. The first thing we recognize is their release the demonic horde is released. It says this, The fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star from heaven, which had fallen to earth, and the key of the bottomless pit was given to him. He opened the bottomless pit, and smoke went up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. The star here is, I believe, referring to an angel, and for specific reasons. First of all, the word fallen, some of you may have uh, a translation that puts it into the present tense, falling, and that's wrong. It should be fallen, meaning it's perfect tense. It's happened in the past and has ongoing results. This has already taken place. He saw a star from heaven which had fallen, and he may very well be John referring back to the time when Satan was cast out of heaven and cast to this earth. The point of the matter is, I believe this is Satan. This has already taken place. And the star is not a celestial being, it is an actual fallen angel. The second reason I believe this is a being in terms of a created being, an angel, a fallen angel, is because a key is given to him indicating that he's actually able to do something with the key. And what does he do with the key? He opens up this bottomless pit, this abyss as it's translated in other passages. And when he does that, when he opens it, in verse 2, smoke goes up out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. The sun and the air were darkened by the smoke of the pit. Now, if I could lighten this up for just a moment, since we're in Albuquerque, New Mexico, we are not talking where the Albuquerque, New Mexico basketball team plays. That's not the pit we're talking about. Context is king. Amen? <laughs> Come on, y'all can laugh. That's all good. Praise God. You know, 
In all seriousness, this is a horrific place. It's a place where angels are being kept for times specifically like this. In Luke chapter 8, verse 31, and you can turn there. We're not going to walk through this whole story for time's sake. But in Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 33, we have the story of the man who was possessed by uh, the demon or demons called Legion. They called themselves Legion. Gerasenus, across from Galilee, is where the Lord went. And this man came and they began to tell the Lord about this particular man. He was possessed, so he was just in bondage. And the Lord began to speak to the demons that possessed this man. And what's interesting is their response to the Lord. Right? In verse 31, it says, They were imploring him not to command them to go away into the abyss. Not to go away into the abyss. Why? Because they knew that the abyss or the pit is where demons were being held in bondage until a later time. Some of them to be released, as in Revelation chapter 9, in order to bring suffering and torment onto this earth. Others to await judgment prior to being cast into the lake of fire forever. And they didn't want to go there, which kind of gives an indication that it wasn't a very pleasant place. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4, Peter records this, If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness, reserved for judgment. Pits of darkness, reserved for judgment. This is the abyss. This is the pit. This is where this angel was given a key in order to unlock and allow the release of this demonic force. Later on in Revelation chapter 20, verses 2 and following, we're told that Satan himself, the dragon, the serpent of old, who's the devil, is bound for a thousand years and thrown into the abyss. And they shut it and seal it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. And after these things, he must be released for a short time. So at the beginning of the millennium, he is thrown into the abyss and it's covered and he is in bondage there until the end of the thousand years. The pit, the abyss. It's a place where demons are held in captivity until times of release for them to do what they do. Revelation 9.11 tells us they have as a king over them. This is the angels of the pit or the abyss, the angel of the abyss. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. I believe that's Satan himself. Some people believe that's a different angel. I believe the king of the demonic forces is Satan. Well, that's the pit. They're released what kind of power do they have? In verse 3, out of the smoke came locusts upon the earth, and power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. And again, if you go back in the Old Testament, you look at the plagues and the different ways in which God brought judgment. Locusts were often used, literal locusts, to come as a swarm in order to destroy and I believe here the picture is of demons that are being equated to locusts, and these demons are coming in order to bring destruction and judgment upon 
the earth. They're not actual locusts. They are demons, but they are called locusts because of the way they swarm, because of the way that they are coming for devastation in order to judge. Power was given them as the scorpions of the earth have power. And again, they're not actual scorpions, but what they're able to do is equivocated to what scorpions do, which is to sting. Has anybody ever been stung by a scorpion? I, I don't know. I've never been, but I have been stung by wasps and uh, right on the nose by a bee. They were painful. I was sitting in my chair one day watching, I don't know what it was, football, whatever, and I looked down, I saw movement. I was right next to the hearth on the fireplace. We had built a house in Georgia, and I looked down because I had saw movement, and my eye kind of gravitated to it, and it was a scorpion, and it had come crawling out from somewhere, and it was right next to me, and I did not appreciate it. (laughs) He died a very quick death. (laughs) I can remember my dad uh, when I was growing up talking about my mom who passed away when I was young, but I can remember this distinctly because she had been in Africa as a nurse and he was a doctor there serving the Lord with SIM International. And I remember him saying that she had been stung at one point by a scorpion and how painful it was. I can remember that. Stuck in my mind. What are the directions these demons that are like the locusts, like scorpions, given? In verse 4, they're told not to hurt the grass of the earth, nor any green thing, nor any tree. We saw that taking place in the first four trumpets. But only the men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads, and they were not permitted to kill anyone but to torment for five months, and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings a man. So the directions, and again, remember, God is in control of these things. There is a a boundary to what Satan is allowed to do in his armies. They're not to hurt nature, in effect. They are to hurt men, but they are not to hurt those who have been sealed. Now, what we've seen in Revelation is that the 144,000 Jewish men have been sealed. There was a seal placed upon them, and they were protected throughout the entire tribulation from the different uh, judgments that were coming upon this earth. This also may include those who have believed in the Lord Jesus Christ through the testimonies of the 144,000 and others. And so it may be that believers are included in this group that are told that the demons are told you cannot touch them you cannot hurt them you cannot sting them we don't know fully but we certainly know the 144,000 are included in this what's interesting is an aside is given concerning those on the earth and in those days verse 6 men will seek death and will not find it they will long to die and death flees from them now think about that for a second how horrific. We have this horde that are like locusts that are able to sting, and we're told that the sting lasts for five months. They're able to hurt men, clearly talking about mankind. And it's so painful, and it's so brutal, and it's such a difficult judgment and a difficult time that people will actually long for death, but they will not be able to die. I don't know how to explain that. I just know that's what it says. But think about the mental anguish and the torment physically as well as mentally that people are going through. 
the appearance of these demons is beyond frightening. Verse 7, the appearance of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. In other words, they're, they're coming for battle. On their heads appeared to be crowns like gold. Their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like the hair of women. Their teeth were like the teeth of lions. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots of many horses rushing to battle. They have tails like scorpions and stings. And in their tails is their power to hurt men for five months. Like horses prepared for battle. Crowns of gold. Faces like men, hair like women, teeth like lions, fangs. They had breastplates of iron indicating that they are well defensed. How can you attack them? Wings sounded like chariots, many horses rushing to battle. The noise that they would make, their tails like scorpions. Now, I don't know if this is modern warfare. Some people want to put into this modern warfare. Right? We've got all kinds of different um, machines and weapons that clearly John had not seen in his time. You know, we have the Apache helicopter, which is a remarkable machine, and so many others. We have missiles that have, you know, wires attached to them so that they can be accurate. Now we have laser-guided missiles. We, we've got so many different kinds of weapons in our day that are devastating. And some would suggest, well, maybe that's what's being described here. John's using the language and he's using figurative language in a way that only he, he can come up with and kind of try to explain what it is that he's seeing because from a modern warfare standpoint, he, he doesn't really understand what he's looking at, so he's trying to put it in a way that the readers will understand one way or the other that this is demonic and it is devastating. I'm not going to argue that point. I would suggest the literal aspect of this is that this is not necessarily modern warfare as we see it, but that John is actually looking at a demonic force that has been unleashed from the pit by Satan itself, and they have come out in order to cause mankind that is still remaining on this earth that are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ to suffer and suffer brutally. Their king is Satan. We looked at this. His name is Abaddon from the Hebrew, and in the Greek he has the name Apollyon. And then verse 12, the first woe was passed. Behold, two woes are still coming after these things. Good grief, as if that first woe wasn't enough. So the second woe begins, which is the sixth trumpet. The demons are being released from under the Euphrates River, and we get this massive army this demonic force, I believe, of approximately 200 million. Verse 13, the sixth angel sounded. I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. One saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river of Euphrates. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and day and month and year were released so that they would kill a third of mankind. The first group was not allowed to kill. They were causing uh, extreme suffering to the point that people wanted to die and couldn't. This group comes out and they're unleashed and they're told to kill. And they kill a third of those remaining on earth. 
The voice from the four horns indicates that this is directly from the throne room of God. And the voice tells the sixth angel to release these four angels bound at the Euphrates River. This is near Babylon in Iraq. I'll never forget the first Gulf War. And we were at Liberty University and, and we were listening uh, to a message on the impact of Babylon, the importance prophetically of Babylon and the Euphrates. And I'll never forget, I don't remember who it was that was speaking, but I'll never forget them saying that our men and women are being sent to go to battle and they are going to a place where literally a demonic army is being kept under lock and key and we need to be in prayer for them. That made an impact on me, I'll tell you. When we think about the events of this world, folks, it's so easy to get into the material and completely leave out the spiritual. And the reality of it is the spiritual is the greater reality. Is it surprising that demons are, are being expressed with animal kind of features? I would think not. The four living creatures themselves, the good angels, actually are expressed in those kind of terms. They have animal type features. This is not a figment of people's imagination. This is real. It's horrific. And why is it? It's because of sin. It's because of sin. The angels have been prepared specifically for this moment. They've been kept under lock and key. And again, I can't stress this enough. As the people of God, we ought to walk in peace and not in fear. Why? Because God is in control. We have hope. We have the truth on our side. We have the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have his word on this. And we can walk securely in the midst of horrific circumstances. I don't believe we're going to go through this because I believe the church is raptured prior to the tribulation. But we have something of a message for people that very well may be facing this. And we ought to be out there as God leads and empowers, sharing with them the truth of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ so that they can be made right, reconciled with God in the midst of their walk here on this earth, that they will have a hope and assurance that Paul expressed in Romans chapter 8. Nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. The number of the army in verse 16 is 200 million. John says, I heard the number of them. There's some discrepancy about that. It may be a number that's looked upon and being used to express just the vast multitude. In other words, it's an innumerable army. Or it could be 200 million. The other interesting thing is I've heard people, and I've heard this all my life, say that this is China. This is China. And, and some people believe that. I believe if we take a literal view here, this is not China, it's not Russia, it's not a combo. These are not men that are ferocious and coming to war. This is a demonic horde led by these four horsemen released from under the Euphrates River in order to kill, to destroy, which is exactly what Satan does. In verse 17, we're given a description that's horrific again. It's scary I thank God, greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Amen? Verse 17, this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates the color of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lions. And out of their mouths proceed fire and smoke and brimstone. The, the phrase, the color 
ought to be in italics in your Bible because it's actually not there. It's actually not there. In other words, it should read simply, they had breastplates of fire and of hyacinth and of brimstone. I mean, think about that picture. It's not just a color. It's actually what's taking place. These people are, these demons are coming to war. These demons are coming equipped to kill, which is exactly what they do. Similar to the previous demonic horde, the animal characteristics of this army are clear, and the horses obviously capture John's attention. His attention is directed to them as the heads of the horses are like lions that spew fire, smoke, and brimstone out of their mouths. Now, that's where we get into this modern warfare moment, and you go, well, maybe, I don't know. I won't argue that or belabor the point. But I believe if we take a literal view of this, this is a demonic army that is coming to destroy. Verse 18, we're told about the destruction that they cause. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents and have heads, and with them they do harm. A third of mankind that is still remaining on this earth is killed. And they're killed by these three plagues, the fire, the smoke, and the brimstone. Unbelievable. You know, what's interesting to me is verses 20 and 21. Why, why interject this? We have a demonic army that comes out of the abyss. We have another demonic army released from under the Euphrates River led by four fallen angels to kill. The first army comes to torment. The second army comes to kill. And in the midst of this, we have this statement, in effect, given to us. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and of silver and of brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. And they did not repent of their murders nor of their sorceries nor of their immorality nor of their thefts. You know, what's amazing to me is God's mercy. In the midst of judgment and in the midst of all this pain and suffering, there evidently is still some recognition that this is from the Lamb. This is from God. And there is still being given an invitation for people to be right with God through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And God's mercy in the midst of this horrific judgment is still available. But what's the response given? They refuse to repent. They refused to change their minds about their way of life and what they're invested in, the worship of demons and the worship of created things, theft and immorality, idolatry. And instead of worshiping the lamb, their hearts are so hardened that they refuse to change their mind concerning what is so evident with regard to their need. Think about that. Believers, we ought to be walking in peace, not in fear. We ought to be walking with the Lord in such a way that it is very evident in our lives 
that we are not invested into the things of this world or the activities of the things of this world. We're invested into the things of God. We're concerned about the things of God. We're concerned about people because God's concerned about people. And in the midst of all these tragedies all around us that we're willing to serve the Lord as he leads and empowers us to serve him, to simply be vessels through which his grace and his love and his mercy is revealed. And the question is, is that true of our lives? Ephesians 6, 10, in the midst of this battle that we're in right now and certainly that which is coming, Paul says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Think about that for a second. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. We're not strong, folks. Have we come to that conclusion and recognition, yet in and of our own selves, we would never stand for God. We would never follow God wholeheartedly because we don't have the strength to do so. Our flesh will always go the way that our flesh will go. Praise God for grace. That's why God comes to live within us, to empower us. And how is it that we begin to walk in his power and in his strength? How is it that we are strong in the strength of his might? We begin to learn to die to self. We begin to learn to say yes to the Lord. We begin to say, Lord, I want to follow you. I want to walk with you. I want to experience you. I know I don't have the strength to do this. I know that I'm fearful of this. I know that I'm worried about this. I know, and you can fill in the blank, but in the midst of it, God's sovereign. In the midst of it, God can God is able. God has all power and all strength. And as a result, I learned to go to him through his word and be empowered and strengthened by the spirit of God in the very inner man so that through me, God's love begins to be revealed to all of those around me. And therefore, no matter what circumstance we go through, no matter what situation we may face, no matter what disaster may come our way, we can walk through it in God's strength and in his power. And therefore, through us, God begins to be revealed so that people begin to recognize we've got hope and they come to us and say, where did you get this hope from? How is it that you're walking through this and you're able to glorify God in the midst of it? Folks, at that moment, we have the wonderful, blessed privilege of saying, let me tell you about my great Lord. And let me tell you what he did for me at the cross and what he did for you. 1 John 4.4, 4, he says, You're from God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Think about that. Wow. <laughs> what do we fear? What do we fear? What is it that we're worried about? Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. Are we willing to walk with the Lord no matter what? Are we willing to walk with the Lord through whatever circumstance he leads and allows are we willing to serve one another, serve others in the midst of these difficult times? Are we willing to get out of our comfort zone and share Christ with other people that are desperate because they don't have hope because they don't know God? They have no assurance of what their future holds. We know if they don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ what their future holds, and it's horrible. How are we walking in the fear of the Lord rather than the fear of men? what people think. Political correctness has absolutely inundated the church in such a way that we have a hard time being honest with one another, much less 
honest with somebody outside the church. How are we experiencing the peace of God through Christ regardless of our circumstances? And are we ready to see Jesus face to face? You know, by God's grace, we can be. Amen? By God's grace, we can have all strength and experience his strength. By God's grace, we can be utilized by him as vessels through which his love begins to be produced through us. The fruit of the Spirit is love. (laughs) Think about that. How are we walking with the Lord today? How are we yielding our lives to him? How are our lives utterly and absolutely focused on the Lord? no matter what the circumstance, no matter what the situation, and how are we willing to say, Lord, use me in whatever way you choose so that you will be glorified. Would you take a moment and just close your eyes, bow your heads with me. Oh, this is heavy. I know it is. Are you thankful for salvation in Christ by grace through faith, not by works, When's the last time you just took some time and said, Lord, thank you. Thank you. Lord, I love you. When's the last time you just really verbalized to the Lord how grateful you are for the salvation that he's provided for us? He didn't have to. He did it of his own free will. But he came to this earth to go to the cross in order to die so that we might have life, and not just any kind of life, eternal life, his life. What circumstance are you going through right now that you feel like it's just going to rip you apart? Friend, God knows. The Lord knows. And the Lord doesn't just have an answer. He is the answer. Are you willing to turn to him? Are you willing to just say, Lord, here's my life. Use it in whatever way you choose. Maybe you came here this morning. You don't know the Lord at all. You don't understand who Jesus is, and boy, would we love to share with you the reality of our Lord Jesus Christ, what he did for us coming to this earth, going to the cross, how he was resurrected from the dead, and how he lives forevermore, and how he has provided salvation that is by grace through faith. It's not by works. You don't have to try to be good enough, because the truth of the matter is none of us could ever be good enough. But we can receive from the Lord what he's accomplished. And when we believe in him, the promise is irrevocable. It's amazing. It is that we would have eternal life. Praise God for that. Would you stand with me for a moment? If you need to come forward and just come to the front and take a moment to pray. Friend, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to encourage you, get right today. Do not allow this time to go past. There are people here in the front who would love to share Christ with you, pray with you, encourage you, share with you from the Word, and I want to encourage you to do that, even right now. Time is short, folks. If we don't recognize that, probably not looking around very hard. I believe the Lord's coming back soon. The question is, how are we living for him today? In freedom, in grace, with joy, but with a sense of urgency. Are we willing to say, Lord, here's our lives. Here's our life, Lord. Here's our church. Here's all the things I want. 
Here's all the things that I'm hoping for. Lord, you take it. You know best. And are we willing to live for the Lord today? What does God want to do in and through this body of believers? What does God want to do in and through your life? Are we willing? Are we willing to say yes to the Lord and to trust him to provide what he alone is able to provide, whether it's his strength, even the words that we need to say to people, the compassion, the love, all of that comes from the Lord. Are we willing to follow the Lord? Father, we come before you this morning and boy, these verses are, are challenging. I thank you for the salvation that you've provided for us. Lord, I thank you that you live in us, that we have the privilege of walking with you every day. When we wake up in the morning, you're already there because you don't go to sleep. When we need protection, you already know about it. Whatever we face, you've already been there. Anything over our head is still under your feet, and I thank you for that, Lord. I thank you for the hope that we have, the assurance that our lives are truly in your hands. And we have security in that. Father, I pray if there's someone here that doesn't know you, Lord, I pray that they'd get that right today. I pray your spirit would work in their heart, draw them to yourself. And Lord, I pray for believers that we would look around and recognize the things that are taking place as your way of getting people's attention. And Lord, I pray that we'd be available to you, that the gospel, the good news of your son, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be proclaimed through us, not only verbally, but also in our actions. So Father, we give you the praise and the glory for this morning. I thank you so much for your grace. I thank you that you love us unconditionally. Lead us, guide us, and may we be willing to follow you. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people say, amen, amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here this morning. Have a wonderful day in Christ. Thanks for listening to the Hoffmantown Church Podcast. 